Thank you for tuning in to the Mile 40 podcast. I am Beshoy Tadros, the author of Break Barriers and Audacious, both of which are sold on Amazon. And I invite you to join me as I engage with guests to discuss those bounce back moments that we encounter on our personal journey. Mile 40 is a forum to learn about how athletes, professionals, and leaders of all backgrounds stare down moments in life where the only option is to rise up. The Mile 40 podcast strives to remind listeners that the comeback is always greater than the setback. Welcome back to another episode of the Mile 40 podcast. Uh, the show continues to grow, and I want to thank you all for continuing to tune in. Uh, today's episode is going to be a really special episode that I'm excited to dive into. Um, if you've been enjoying so far, I'd ask you all to make sure to click subscribe, whether you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Um, and uh, once again, thank you for continuing to be a part of this journey. Today's episode features David Spinks. David launched his first online community at 14 years old for his favorite video game, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 4. Today, he's become a prominent leader in the community-driven business movement and the author of the best-selling book, which I've read, The Business of Belonging. Spinks writes a popular weekly newsletter for community creators and trains and advises community teams at companies like Google, Facebook, Waze, Airbnb. His life's purpose is to help others learn how to build thriving, meaningful communities. Previously, he was a co-founder of CMX, where over 20,000 community professionals gathered to learn and support each other, and the host of CMX Summit, the largest conference in the community industry. David, thanks for joining me today. Bushoy, good to be here. So one thing I forgot to mention is that David David and I also went to uh, college together, so we've known each other for a long time. And isn't it funny looking back now that not only do you and I have a book, but we're not even the only people that were in that same basement partying that have become published authors to this point. Have there been many more? I haven't followed the whole I know at Geneseo least one, cohort. I know at least one more guy uh, amongst our group who uh, who published a book out there. So it's kind of... Who knew? Crazy. We're just dancing around a bunch of authors. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, well, funny how we got here. Uh, but y- your story is uh, one that I've been following really closely since we graduated. I've seen a lot of the success that you've had. I've seen the influence that you've had, especially um, on the LinkedIn community. Um, and I know that um, the buzzword and, and really the focus of everything that you've been doing is centered around the word community. And community is an overarching theme to a lot of the work that that I've done. But I think it's also a little bit hard to define um, and to distinguish with regards to some of the work that you're doing uh, from a business perspective. So let me start off by asking you, how do you define community? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the million dollar question. I actually just published a newsletter about community purism and how people tend to label groups as communities or not communities. And it's just it's just a really hard thing to define. Everyone has a different definition of community. And we use that same term to describe everything from our neighborhoods to our families, to the sports teams that we're proud of, to uh, the colleges we went to, you know, big communities, small communities, loose communities, really deep communities, support groups. It's, it's just, it covers everything. So um, me defining it really doesn't matter. What matters is what you're trying to accomplish by bringing people together. And that's really all it is. It's bringing people together. Um, in the context of business, I think it's helpful to frame it as how it's unique from maybe building an audience or building marketing. Um, the way I look at it is if you're building an audience or if you're marketing, you're helping people, right? You're creating a product, you're creating content, you're creating something that other people are consuming. You're creating all the value. If you're building community, you're helping people help each other. So instead of you creating all the value, you creating all the content, you creating the product, you're creating a space where people are able to help each other, give each other advice, give each other feedback, um, teach each other, support each other when they need it, listen to each other, whatever it is that they need from each other, you create that space where they can do that rather than you having to create all the value. Is there a certain community that you can point to, and it may have been one that you led or, or created on your own, where you can kind of point the listeners to as being an example of a forum that you would point to as perhaps building community in a way uh, that you think other companies should strive to? 
Oh yeah. I mean, there's, there's lots and lots of communities out there. Um, you know, one of my, one of the companies I'm working right now is called the tech tribe and they bring together people who run it businesses around the world and all the like weird, unique challenges that you'll have running an it business and staying on top of new technology trends and, um, you know, insurance and just all the nitty gritty details of running a business like that. They create space for those people to come together, exchange advice, support each other. They create playbooks for them. They, you know, give them all the resources they need to be successful. Um, very different community would be the dinner party, which is a community for people in their 20s and 30s who have lost someone that they loved. And their whole purpose is to bring people together over potluck dinners, which they now also do virtual since COVID started, but um, to be able to process their grief in a setting that uh, is more aligned with who they are because they found that a lot of the places that you went for grief counseling before, a lot of the other people in the room were from older generations. And so it was really hard to connect with them on the same level. And they wanted to connect with other people who are their age around their twenties or thirties who lost someone they love because that experience felt very different. So, you know, that's a really good example of where, finding a unique identity or more specific identity who's having an experience in their life, but they have no one else to talk to about that. Uh, They don't have a safe space. They don't have a curated space to have those conversations. That's where there's a really good opportunity to build community. Um, So yeah, that's a couple of examples. I could probably spend the next hour giving you more, but uh, you know, if you have specific kinds of communities that you're interested in, then I can point you in the right direction. No, that's great. Um, and we are going to dive into your journey. And I'm going to ask you, you know, some tough questions here. But and I'll start out with one um, that I think was top of mind for me. And, you know, as I kind of look at the work that you've done, I see that, you know, especially with CMX Summit, people are willing to pay for community. But when you think about, you know, you look at the tech industry over the last year and some of the turmoil that it's faced. Um, and when you look at bottom lines and, and the the consultants that are coming in and trying to assess where the ROI is on certain drivers within a business. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know you're a voice for the, for communities. Talk to me about how communities can drive ROI um, and why perhaps um, the decision to um, look at it as a non-revenue generating portion of a company, perhaps is something that leaders should be reconsidering as they kind of move forward around communities. Yeah, so there's a there's a few things there. One, we've reached a point in society and the internet where um there's kind of this expectation that communities should be free, that they're all open. A lot of it was driven by, you know, the Facebookification of the internet where like you could click a button and launch a, a Facebook group that's this like really beautifully designed, optimized product that's a great community tool. Um, but it's free and you can't charge for it. You can't even get your member data through Facebook, right? Facebook monetizes it through ads. So they're making the money on it. And the community builder is the one doing the work, but it's created this expectation that like, well, online communities should just be free. Um, and I think that's starting to shift now. I think people are finally realizing that like the quality of the community matters and the amount of work that goes into building a community matters. And I've just seen so many community builders launch a community and not figure out the money part. And then they just get completely burned out because community is like a huge commitment of time, of energy and of emotion, right? You're like completely investing yourself every day into these other people. And so I'm a big advocate for making money as a community creator. Like I think community creators should be able to generate wealth. And so that can happen. And depending on who who's listening, you can either be a community entrepreneur and be running your own community business. And in that case, you know, you're either charging for membership or you're charging companies for access to your community, um, or you're selling a product to your community of some sort. So there's a few different ways that you can monetize your community. Lately, I'm a I'm a big fan of just charging people for the community, especially if it's like a professional community where people are Um, it's part of their career, part of their work. Like that's an investment that they can make. If it's like a social support group, maybe something more like the dinner party that I I shared, that's less of like, you know, something that should necessarily make money. It's more about supporting people and it needs to be funded in other ways, maybe as a nonprofit. Um, Now, if you're building community for business, 
Absolutely. Community can drive extreme value. And there's some really good examples of communities, you know, driving millions and millions of dollars for companies like uh, Salesforce, uh, with their Trailblazer community is a really good example where they connect all their customers to each other. They they teach each other, they train each other. And as a result, they acquire a lot of new customers and their customers are more successful at using the product, which makes them spend more. And so um, we developed at CMX a model called the Spaces model that helped businesses understand how community is driving value for their business. And Spaces stands for support, product, acquisition, contribution, engagement, and success, which are all things that are part of business already, right? It's support. Like, how are you answering questions for your customers? Instead of you having to answer all those questions, you connect them to each other. That saves you a lot of money because now you don't need as many support reps. Product, how are you innovating and collecting feedback and insights? Uh, you build a community where your members can share what they want to see in the product. They could share feedback. You're running these kinds of focus groups and and learning how to innovate your product based on what the community is saying. Acquisition is growth, right? It's like, how do you acquire new customers? So community programs are either like a community that you built that people are finding. And as a result of participating in that community, they learn about your product. Or it could be an ambassador program. A lot of com- companies run you know, ambassador advocacy programs where you take your most loyal community members, you give them a lot of benefits and rewards and support them. And then they're out there in the world creating content, organizing events, basically like advocating on your behalf. Um, Contribution is, you know, something like Airbnb, where the whole platform is driven by people contributing to it, contributing their homes, right? And so they built a massive community for their hosts and their super hosts, where they bring them together in online forums and events. They create all these spaces to help hosts connect with each other and be more successful. Engagement is essentially customer retention. So it's the idea that um, you connect your customers to each other and you give them a true sense of connection and belonging they're more likely to want to stick around with your product and feel connected to it. Um, it increases retention, increase their average like contract value, things like that. And then the last one is success. So uh, success, like customer success is how you teach your customers how to better use your product and how to be more successful in their career. What a great opportunity to build a community where they can share with each other how they're using the product. Um, like Notion is a really good example of a customer success community where everyone uh, Notion's like a, you create docs and you can take notes and run your processes and everything through Notion. Really cool product. And they have their customers share their templates that they've created with each other and share how they're using Notion and teach each other how to better use the product, which has just blown up. Like they have a they have a subreddit with hundreds of thousands of members in it. They have local events going on all over the world. They have a massive community because people love the product and they want to teach each other how to use it better. Um, so yes, to tie it all together, community can drive a ton of value for you as like an independent entrepreneur or uh, if you're part of a business, you build community with that business goal in mind. And I think that's really important because if it's not tied to a business goal, then you know ultimately a business has to understand where its investments are going and they're going to cut things that aren't making money, especially when there's like an economic downturn like we're seeing now. Understood. And and thank you for breaking that down. And um, what I love about this episode already is I feel like there's just so much for a lot of listeners out there to learn because... Um, community, like we kind of kicked off with at the onset, has so many ways of being defined. Um, and even in the professional space, you know, you see it talked about a lot um, on forums like LinkedIn. Um, and if it's not necessarily your field, sometimes you don't understand exactly uh, what it is uh, and how it plays into the business realm. So thanks so much for uh, diving into that. That That's really helpful. Now, of course. Uh, onto the fun stuff. Let's talk about your trajectory and and how uh, you uh, went from uh, those days back in college and um, you know, kind of built yourself up to where you are today, a published author. Um, you have a company that's been acquired that you started uh, from the ground up. Um, but I know in speaking to you prior to this that it wasn't an, a straight path for sure. There were some bumps along the way. And the premise of the show is to dive into those moments really where you kind of hit that pit and then talk about that trajectory on upwards. So give us a little storyline uh, with regards to... Uh, let's start with um, when did you know you wanted to get into this space? And when did the, the love and passion for a community start? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes all the way back to childhood. 
Um, I was always somebody that was very social, that really loved connecting with people, loved talking to people. My parents said when I was really little, I loved talking to adults. Like I try to have like real adult conversations. Um, and, um, you know, as you get into the, the more, uh, difficult social phases of middle school, suddenly I, I really struggled to connect with people. And I had friend groups that I was really close with that, you know, cut me out and and i i just got really disconnected from and like i was I, it was weird i was the type that would like have a best friend for a while and then they would just kind of like join another group and cut me out entirely and that just kept happening over and over again and so it was just a really really hard time for me socially i i craved connection i craved deeper connection with people and i just kept frankly getting hurt in, in these really deep ways. I remember multiple times just sitting in my room crying just because like I, I didn't know what to do. And I knew my friends would be hanging out outside uh, somewhere in town and uh, that they were like intentionally not including me. And, and so that struggle, that loneliness is kind of what pushed me onto the internet uh, at, at a really early stage in the internet back when it was still pretty weird to talk to strangers um especially if you're in middle school uh i was online in irc channels and online chats and 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 participating in these online spaces and you mentioned you know tony hawk's pro skater 4 that was kind of video games was my entry point into that world i got really into tony hawk's pro skater 4 i was like addicted with that game and that was the first game that was specifically designed to be played online on the playstation 2 so um, it was kind of like a whole new world of online gaming that uh, I just got hooked right into. I would play it every day. I would log on to Tony Hawk. I would run home from school. And that's where my friends were. Like Those are the people that I spent most of my time with. And I got to know a lot of people really well. I became really good at the game. I was one of the top players in the world at the time. We started a clan and we were like undefeated. Like We never lost a single match. Um, I got to win. I won a couple of tournaments. I got to meet Tony Hawk once. Um, and, and so our clan launched, uh, a forum for like the clan and for our community. And it became one of the more popular online communities for Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 4. So now I'm 14 years old and running an online forum with all the things that you deal with in online community building today. We had, you know, contests and, long conversations and trolls and I had to moderate and I had to facilitate and start conversations. And, um, you know, one of my clan co-founders was a developer. So he was like building the forum and we like kept iterating on it and trying to improve the product. And it was, it was really cool. It was an amazing experience. And I think that's what made me really comfortable with online communities way before, you know, MySpace and Facebook and a lot of the rest of our generation became comfortable with it. Um, and it, it kind of opened my eyes to the, I, I then understood the truth that you can find real connection and friendship online, which is still something that people debate today. Right. Um, but I, I experienced it. And so as we, you know, I, I got better at the social part. I, I ended up like finding community through like weird spaces. Like I got into a hardcore music scene in high school. And by the time I got to college, I had built up a lot more confidence and I was less awkward and um and I was pretty social. I, I think you and I were, were were similar in this way. I feel like you you were like me in that we kind of both knew all the different groups. Yeah. Like we were kind of friends with everybody. We transcended we we weren't like in just one click. We liked to know everybody. Um and uh and so that's kind of how I was in college, right? I like to know everybody. And um, I was still doing a lot of stuff in online community. I actually helped Geneseo launch our very first blog and our, and our first like online, basically like space where we were creating content because I was working for the union at the time. Um, and uh, I I started, I got an internship at Ruder Finn in New York City the summer before our senior year. And that gave me my first like professional experience in the world of like online community and I was, we were like redesigning the website for the Metropolitan Museum and putting together like social media plans for Pfizer. This is when like Twitter first came out, like social media was still super early days. Um, but I just started 
becoming really fascinated. I was I went to school for business, and that's when I started like connecting um, business to the world of online community and social media. And I was taking our you know marketing classes in Geneseo, which weren't very good. And they're still talking about like direct mail campaigns and the marketing mix and things that just like I'm like nobody is using this now. Like, why are we not talking about the internet at all? And um, I helped launch the first social media course, which the business department wouldn't accept. So I had to go to the computer science department and pitch them on it. And I helped them build the first like social media and marketing course there. Um, and uh, so that was kind of like the behind the scenes leading up to my career. And then my career kind of started after after college. A company, a startup had read my blog and I was writing a lot about online community and social media. And they're like, hey, do you want to be our community manager for the summer? We're going through this accelerator program in Philly called Dream It. Um, and I was like, uh, you know, will you pay me anything? They're like, no. <laughs> um, but uh, they paid for my apartment and they gave me 1% of the company. And uh, I was like, all right. So I, two weeks after we graduated, I flew to Philly. I was living in this complete shithole, roach infested apartment in Philly, but it didn't matter because I was like in the office all day, every day. And um, that kind of kicked off my career. Um, I was a community manager there. We pivoted halfway through the accelerator because the first idea we had um, didn't really pan out. And we pivoted to a company called SeatGeek, which a lot of people know today is one of the largest second-end sports and concert ticket sites in the world. And so I worked on that with them for a month and a half. I helped build like the very early product and marketing campaign and outreach campaign. Um, the, the first product that we built, uh, I ended up... We, we sold that to somebody named Mark Duquette in Montreal, and he needed someone to run it. And so I ended up moving over and became essentially the CEO of that company. Um, and so that kind of, point? that was, I was 22, 21, 22. Um, and yeah, I just got thrown. I went from intern to like CEO, um, which is kind of the, the foreshadowing of the, the fall. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I was feeling real good about myself and I like ran this company and we pivoted it to uh, a company called Blog Dash, which was connecting businesses with bloggers. It was kind of like one of the first influencer outreach uh, platforms back before that was a thing. And um, and then this company, Zarly, uh, came out and they came out of a startup weekend. The idea was really novel. It was like a reverse Craigslist. So you could post anything you wanted. And people would respond with offers. I could say, I want a bicycle. And someone would say, like, I'll bring you a bicycle that you can use for the day. Or I could say, I want a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich. And someone will say, like, I'll go get it for you. This is before Uber. This is before Airbnb. This is before like all these new things now where you click a button and you get something. Zarly was kind of one of the first ones to do that, but we tried to do it for everything. And people were enamored by the idea. We raised tons of money from like Ashton Kutcher, Groupon, Sins Capital, Kleiner Perkins, like the who's who. We were we were the darling of Silicon Valley at the time. And they wanted me to join and be their uh, director of community. And so they essentially poached me from my, the company I was running. And I was like, all right, let's do this. You know, this is a rocket ship. I was like a young, ego-driven, wanting to be a big entrepreneur and like, you know, build wealth and get into the startup game. And so I was like, all right, Sign me up. And so I joined the company and it was like absolutely bonkers, just moving a million miles a minute. I was, I was managing our New York office while also leading the community team. And, um, uh, I was there for in New York for nine months. And then, uh, we decided that we're going to move everybody to San Francisco. And, um, so that's what brought me out to the Bay Area. The first like six months were pretty good. I was still riding high. They loved what I was doing, but the the product itself wasn't working. We kept we recruited millions of people, but we couldn't retain them. The culture was really rough because it was such a fast. It was very young, uh, very inexperienced uh, in terms of a lot of people on the team. We're moving a million miles a minute, and so if you got lost, there yeah. was no like life raft. You kind of just it was like sink or swim. And I started sinking and I, you know, I, I was just trying to, I was 
feeling really confident and wanting to have this big impact and build community and like help grow this business and just kept saying yes and yes and yes to more and more projects and more things. And the team was doing so much. And I just like the results weren't showing up. And before I just started like burning out, I, I would wake up just completely overwhelmed every single day. I, I've, I, I, I've never been so stressed in my entire life as like the last four months or so of working at that company. I was just completely in over my head to the point where, you know, the CMO would say like, Hey, you need to do these things. And I'd say, okay. And then he'd check in a week later and he'd be like, where are we at with these? And I'm like, honestly, I, I didn't even, I didn't even touch those things. <laughs> like I didn't move it one inch. And, um, they moved me out to San Francisco. They moved everyone out. And then, um, a month later I was fired. And, and I just, that was like the lowest point in my entire career. I lost all confidence in myself. Um, I blamed myself entirely. I was like, I, 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 I didn't know what to do. And I, they moved me out to San Francisco. I didn't know anyone out there. And so I found myself, I was still like living in the apartment that they put all the employees in when they moved out there. So I was like living with these people after I got fired. And I didn't know anybody. I was in a shitty part of town. And I was like, do I just like go back to New York and pick the pieces up? And, um, you know, my wife, who wasn't my wife yet at the time, but, you know, we were doing long distance. And I was like, this would be very easy to just go back, move back in together and, you know, figure it out back in New York. Um, but I, I stayed, I stayed in San Francisco and I, I knew I wanted to be there. I wanted to be part of the tech ecosystem and be part of startups and, um, that, that uh, uh like once you were fired like you know i've spoken to a bunch of people on here who kind of had these moments where they're laid off fired like oh whatever it was was there a moment where you felt a little free as soon as it happened no no no, no that that took time got it i remember when when i got fired there was a cmo sat me in a room i had prepared a whole presentation to try to like this is how we're going to get things back on track. I knew I was about to get fired and I was still like, no, I'm like going to fight till the bitter yeah. end. And he just like stops me in the middle of the, of the presentation. He's just like, Spanx, Spanx. Like, I think it's time that we go our separate ways. And those are the words. And I just remember like the blood rushing out of my head. And I just like walked out of the room, walked straight to the elevator, like couldn't make eye contact with anyone. And I walked, um, I got out of the building and I just started walking straight to the bay. I was like, I just need to like get, to water to like open space. Cause like I was kind of like in the downtown area and, um, I, I like coincidentally, uh, universally, whatever it is that brought me to this person while I was walking there, I ran into this guy named Thomas Knoll, who's a friend of mine in the community space. And he was like, Hey, Sphinx. And I'm like, looking like, huh. I just got, you uh, know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm just in like, I'm like traumatized. And he's just like, Whoa, like, are you okay? What What's going on? And I'm like, I just got, I just got fired. Like, he's like, like just now? I'm like, yeah, like literally five minutes ago. And he's like, holy shit. I'm so sorry. That sucks. Um, let's get dinner and like, just, you know, take care of yourself. Gave me a big hug. He's like, let's put dinner on the calendar. We could talk about it. And, um, he ended up being the one that like helped me get back on my feet and got me my next, my next gig. Like when I started doing consulting again. So it was like this kind of beautiful thing in hindsight that like in my lowest moment, I ran into the person that, um, helped me kind of start picking myself back up. And I like, will always be grateful to him for that. Oh, that's um, great. It's, it's amazing how like life works sometimes like with things like that. And I keep going back to younger you and, you know, that younger child who, you know, just couldn't figure out why he couldn't fit in. And then when you kind of resorted to checking out online communities, I mean, you could have honestly gone down a, a negative barrel at that point, but you kind of figured out a way to to push through, even, even though, you know, you were kind of in not such a great space um, outside of that. Um, and to kind of see the fact that there was a buildup like all the way throughout, even to the point where here you are, you got fired, but life was telling you, hold on, like your, your story is not over on that walk outside uh, when you run into him. And um, I'm excited to see where things go from here. So what happened after that? 
Yeah. Yeah. And just, just to like call out the point, like my loneliness is probably a core part of what drives me to do a lot of what I've done in my life. And I think like becoming an entrepreneur and building community and, you know, building a brand, it's all kind of rooted in this, like, cool. Now you have to pay attention to me, right? Like you have to include me. Um, And so getting fired was not just like a hit to my ambition, but it was like core to my deep need for acceptance. Right? I just got, it was like the worst form of, of uh, being cut out of, you know, a social group of where I was finding purpose and like a sense of identity. And yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I um, uh, walked to the water, uh, like sat there for hours, you know, called my dad, cried. Um, I, I uh, luckily I had found an apartment on Craigslist uh, in the mission district in San Francisco. And, and, and so I was like, all right, like, I guess I'll just, you know, try that out and move in there. I, I chose it because I liked the people when I met them that were living there. And, um, uh, that ended up being a great choice. They ended up being my like family to us. And like, I, I recently like officiated one of their weddings. Um, they officiated our wedding. Like, it's just, it's like our family that, that grew out of that apartment. It was a really magical place, but like I moved in there and they were like, oh, sh-. like, did we fuck up? This guy is really like, all he does is sit around and watch TV and play video games and be like depressed. <laughs> like, I moved in and I was just like an awful roommate. Um, and, uh, you know, luckily they, they didn't kick me out immediately and gave me some time. Um, but uh, I took like a few months of being depressed and, and doing nothing. And then uh, I, I, Thomas, who I met up with, he ended up connecting me with um, Louis Lemire. So Thomas was working on community for a company called Le Web, which is the largest tech conference in Europe. Uh, they hosted a conference every year in Paris. Te- like Thousands and thousands of people would go from the tech industry all over Europe. It was huge. And he was stepping back from his role working on community to go work on something else. And he was like, he told Louis, he was like, you should hire David to do this. Um, and I was like, still really low on myself and confidence was low. And Thomas was like, just trust me, like, you'll be great at this. And so like, I went and I met with Thomas and Luik and Luik, um, was, you know, really excited. And he was like, like, we talked about community and how I think about doing it. And I just like put out some ideas and he was like, okay, great. Like, let's, let's give it a shot. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and so we started working on it and I was just like, organizing online events to get people excited about the conference and organizing the online community and interviewing speakers. And I remember there was a point like a couple months into working with the week, and this was just part-time. It was like a, a part-time gig, but I remember he, he messaged me and he was just like, David, honestly, I've, I've never seen someone build community like this before. And he just told me how much he appreciated my work and how well I was doing and I just, I'll never forget that because it, it was like the first time that someone said something positive to me since I was fired about the work I was doing. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm not a complete piece of shit. <laughs> maybe I am okay at this. Um, and um, so, yeah, I, I ended up working with Luik for about a year. We on, on a couple conferences in Europe and London and uh, Paris and London. And it was great. I had a ton of fun. It was like, it like re-energized me. I got to connect to so many amazing speakers and people like really blew up my network a lot because it was, it was so connected. And I, I got to like interview every speaker and like invite all the VIP guests and I was at all the dinners. And so it was really cool. Kind of like got me activated again. Um, and I, uh, helped, I, I started taking on a couple other side gigs. I helped Udemy launch their first online community. Um, and, um, then the, the next one was my next company. So I started a company called Feast with my roommate, Nadia, where we decided to launch like an online cooking school. Um, so like the background of all that was I still wanted to be an entrepreneur and I wanted to build something. So I was always looking for something to build, uh, some some product to launch. And so um, we, I was sitting there one day and I'm like, I want to cook more, but I suck at cooking and I don't want to go to a cooking class because they seem like they're for like dating or for like moms or something. It's all very like Martha Stewarty. What if we could deliver ingredients to people's homes for um, to like a cooking class, basically teach them how to cook by delivering everything to their home with these kind of like online videos. Um, and this was before plated and blue apron and all the like, meal boxes that people have now the recipe boxes 
And um, so we did that. We launched a prototype out of our apartment. Uh, it was very scrappy, probably highly illegal from like a food safety. Uh-huh. We had like six first customers and we literally would like go to the grocery store, get all the ingredients, put it into boxes with a big stamp. We rented a zip car because we didn't have a car. We would drive it to everyone's homes. Um, and it was really cool. We, we had a lot of fun with it. Um, we ended up getting acceler- accepted into 500 startups, the accelerator, uh, which was one of the mo- the biggest accelerators at the time. So it was a pretty big deal. Um, and uh, ran that for two years. Um, went through many pivots, uh, didn't end up working out as a business. And uh, while we were starting to wind it down, um, uh, there was another idea that I've been talking about for a long time called CMX. Um, so I was I was uh, behind this uh, side project that I've been working on with a couple other people for a long time called, was called the community manager.com. I was working on with Jen PD and Brett Petersell. And it was like a online community for community managers. Um, and we would do like job boards and content and things like that. And uh, for a long time, we wanted to do uh, a conference. We would always talk about it. It would never happen. It was like a huge deal to launch a conference. And it wasn't until my friend Max Altschuler, he had started a conference called Sales Hacker, ran it successfully. And I had told him about the idea for CMX before. And uh, he was like, hey, you know that idea that you've been wanting to do for a long time with CMX? I know how to run a conference now. Um, so why don't we do it together? You do the marketing and speakers and content, and I'll handle all the operations and, and backend stuff. And so I said, cool, let's try it. Why not? What do we have to lose? We put that whole event together in six weeks. And we had 300 people fly out from around the world paying hundreds of dollars for their ticket. And, um, you know, it was when, when everyone walked into the room, it was one of those magical CM, like community moments where they would look around and for the first time in their career, they would see everyone else in the room was like them. They weren't just the only community manager at a marketing conference or at a sales conference. Everyone in the room was building community for a business. And it was like the first time that they felt like they were a part of something and that they weren't alone in their work. And then we got on stage and we told them like, we believe that this is where business is going, that the future is going to be community driven and this is going to be a huge industry. So we gave them a very positive message that they had never heard before. And it was just, it was magic. And I was like, oh, like this whole time I've been looking for the thing that I could be an entrepreneur and like build something big and impactful and meaningful. And it was kind of sitting right under my nose. It was like the thing I was doing almost for fun um, or like, you know, the, the community thing I've been doing for so long. Actually, this is it. And so we shut down Feast and I switched my full-time focus over to CMX. And uh, we ran that company for, uh, I ran it for nine years, uh, five years as an independent business. We were acquired four years ago. And then um, I continued to run it for three more years, uh, published my book in that time. and, um, And then I stepped down about a year ago. Wow, there's a lot, a lot to unpack there. So let me, uh, let me see where to begin here. Uh, I was also looking. Yeah, Udemy is where I got my life coaching uh, certification. Awesome. So I was just double yeah. that as you were speaking uh, because yeah. I use their community forum, um, and so um, that's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Know that you are so you probably used yeah, the community that I helped them start. And actually, yeah. the funny thing as well is that's where I met Max because he was working on sales for Udemy. So oh, wow. we we met when we were both consulting and we're both uh, two like Long Island dudes in San Francisco working on tech, which is a rare thing to find. And we're like, I th- you know, we became friends, obviously. And uh, and so that's, you know, ultimately what led to CMX starting. If you know me, you know that I like to look good and feel good as an endurance athlete who trains daily. I need my wardrobe to fit the mold. Roan creates performance-driven clothing for your active lifestyle. Each piece is designed for versatility and made with integrity to outfit you for an active life lived on your own terms. The Roan promise is to help you move forever forward. Use code MILE40 for 20% off online and in-store for new customers only. Visit www.rhone.com, that's Roan spelled R-H-O-N-E, or find your local store and move forever forward starting today. It's just, it, it like everything kind of goes back to what you said earlier about how 
you found strength in, in moments of loneliness. Um, and despite the fact that community is, you know, not something that you would kind of uh, put in the same sentence as as the word loneliness or as the theme of loneliness, um, it, it's just it's a revolving aspect of your story, um, which really kind of stands out to see how the the power of those moments, those dark moments, really instilled something so grand uh, in terms of community. Um, and, and that's something that I'm sure you're proud of. But if, you know, I, I want to tell you that I'm very proud to know you for that, because um, it's really awesome to see and, and to kind of know uh, someone who's been a face and a voice for something um, that's just so incredible when you think about its early roots and then where it came from and derived. Um, I want to dive into two things. I want to talk about the book really quick, and I want to talk about the acquisition of CMX. Um, well, what, one, one, can I say one thing about what you were just saying as well? That yeah. I think is is important, um, and I've like come to gain this perspective over time. Is that like every every part of your identity, you essentially have the attic and the basement aspect of it, and and so yes, like the loneliness or the darker times of my life and the struggles uh it, it has driven me to kind of take a lot of action and it's like this insatiable need that i have to belong to find connection to feel important to feel accepted and so like the attic is like great that like helped me build a lot of things it helped me grow it helped me create a lot of value for other people help me build you know, success in my career. And then there's a basement, which is like this insatiable need <laughs> to, to belong. And it like, you know, it continues to be the struggle that I have is this like need to please people and these need to fit in, need to be accepted. And so, you know, I don't think it's ever as clear cut as, oh, you know, you had this dark thing and something great came out of it, or you had this bad thing or dark thing and something bad came out of it. it it's kind of like, these these are just become aspects of who you are, and there's going to be positive aspects of it and negative aspects of it, um, and that's kind of a beautiful and terrible part of life. Absolutely, very well said there. Um, let's talk really quick about the business of belonging. Um, did you? Uh, at what point did you know? You know, you were going to put pen to paper and and start putting together uh, a book like this, and um, you know. I can tell, I, you know, before we even got on, on this recording, uh, just from reading the book, um, your network speaks for itself. Uh, some of the names that you had uh, mentioned in the book, some of the, the references in the book uh, were really big names in, in the community industry. So you clearly had, um, you know, the, the network there. Uh, but when did you decide to put pen to paper on it? And um, what was your vision for the book? Yeah, I think I always wanted to write a book, probably, you know, a healthy dose of ego. But for me, it got to the point where I've been doing this work for so long and I've written so much about it. But, you know, you write on the internet and things are just kind of like scattered across all these different spaces and websites. And I really wanted a book that would essentially collect everything that I've learned. And it was kind of like a, a challenge in a way to take all these disparate pieces of how we've tried to define community and measure it and understand how it fits into a business and put it into one cohesive narrative that, you know, I could hand to somebody, right? I would like every day to this day, I get people who reach out to me every day who say like, Hey, I want to launch a community or I'm doing, I'm trying to build community for my business. Like, what do I do? And it would, I was like, I want to have a definitive, like I can hand you this book and it will probably have a lot of the answers that you need to get started. And so um, I wanted to do it for a long time. Um, I, I I made the mistake of trying to write the book uh, before uh, getting a publisher a few times, which, yeah. you know, I think a lot of people do They're like, oh, yeah, I, I want to write a book. So I should start writing a book. Right. It's like, well, no, um, I ended up writing a bunch of drafts, but then they just never saw the light of day because uh, it's really, really, really hard to write a book. Turns out uh, the hardest thing I've ever done, as as I'm sure you know, like writing an article, I'm really good at that. I can do that in a week. A book's like a hundred articles that all have to connect to each other in perfect cohesion. And if you like decide, like in an article, if I'm like, oh, I think this header should go here instead, we should swap those. If you do that in a book, 
like, oh no, chapter two should maybe be chapter seven. You have to go through the entire book again and make sure all the references to chapter two are now moved to chapter seven and like everything has to have cohesion, right? And so it, it's it's just like a really hard project to see through to the finish line unless you have commitment and accountability. And so I was writing and I didn't have accountability until I decided in 20, it was like, Going into 2020, I think, um, was it 2019? It must have been 2019. Um, that I, for New Year's, I like every year I do a, a kind of like annual life review and I was setting my goals for the year and I was like, all right, I'm doing it. I'm going to write a book, but this time I'm going to focus on getting a publisher, trying to get a, 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 a contract. And so, um, I set out to like pitch a lot of agents and a lot of publishers and I got a lot of calls and everybody said to no, no to me, even the agents, like the agents oh, are like, oh, I won't even take this. Yeah. Yeah. What's that? That's how it works. They, yeah. They Everyone said no. Um, and uh, I ended up getting the book deal uh, in a roundabout way where I uh, contributed to an article on the first round review, which is a really popular publication uh, by first round capital and um it was when covid started so covid ended up helping me get a book deal and it was all about how to like build community online and because everyone was having to go remote and be online um it was like how to you know make your webinars and your online events better and things like that an editor from wiley read that article and reached out and said like hey would you be interested in turning this into a book and i was like well, funny you should ask sir i happen to have a full book proposal here ready uh. to go and so he ended up working with me to like improve my proposal. And then he brought it internally to the editorial board and pitched it on my behalf and they accepted it. And we I got to write it, man, because for all the listeners out there, it is so difficult to get picked up by a publisher. It's even, it's just so hard to even kind of state if you're not trying to go about this and, and, and do this to understand the, the rigor uh, of kind of breaking into the traditional publishing publishing space, and so um, I love how that worked out for you. I mean that that's that's amazing to hear, and and I'm I'm so happy that it worked out the way that it did. Um, and lucky product well, is, luck. The final product is is tremendous, and and so um, it's so awesome that you got it there. Um, Thanks, let's talk about. CMX really quick and the acquisition was that something that you had planned was was that your exit strategy the whole time or did you not know where it was going to go No I think like if you asked me early days I was like I'm going to be working on this for the rest of my life um and maybe if things went differently it could have um CMX was an interesting business in that I think it was extremely impactful I think we really did grow the community industry and help shape it and help thousands of people who were doing this work be more successful. Um, we had massive, massive impact. From a business and financial standpoint, I think we made a lot of key mistakes um, in terms of how I tried to grow it. It was it was a hard industry. Community, even to this day, doesn't have the buying power that like sales or marketing industries have. Um, so you know we got to the point where we we're making you know seven, eight hundred K a year. But I had like four full-time employees and we had, you know, we would make that revenue, but like running a conference, which was our core product is extremely expensive. And so um, financially, we were basically just like keeping our heads above water um, for most the entirety of CMX. Like actually, if I, if I decided at, at the beginning to just like keep it as kind of like a solopreneurship thing, it would have been great. I probably could have done it forever. Would have been a ton of work, obviously, but. Um, you know, we really want to build something big and have a lot of impact and grow the whole ecosystem. And so, you know, we hired for growth, we hired marketers, we hired salespeople, we did a lot. We were doing conferences, training, um, massive, like, uh, like huge research projects that would, we'd work on for many months at a time. Um, we have local chapters in 60 cities around the world. Um, multiple online communities. We're publishing content in a newsletter every week. So we're doing a ton of work. And um um but just keep financially just like never really found a thing that could accelerate and, and grow. 
but I had I still had this like huge vision for what I wanted it to be. And so the acquisition came out kind of opportunistically. Um, Derek Anderson's the founder of Startup Grind. Uh, Startup Grind is one of the largest communities in the world for founders and startups. They have chapters all over, hundreds of chapters all over the world. And he came and spoke at CMX Summit at our conference. And after the event, he he was like blown away by the event. He's like, "This is incredible! Um, like you've built something extremely special here. I want to support however I can." And so he and I just became friends. Um, and we started meeting every month. And he would kind of advise me on building a community business, like he did with Startup Grind. And then Startup Grind, they spun out a new product called Bevy which is a SaaS product to help businesses launch their uh, their communities. They're like chapter-based communities, the way Startup Grind functioned. And so I was advising him on the community industry, and he was advising me on running a community business. And Bevy also like sponsored CMX events, so we became really close partners. Um, there was a point where Derek... Um, it was like a little bit of a tighter financial point, and I was talking to him about it. And he, he straight up just... He was just like, gave us $10,000. And he's just like, no strings attached. I'm like, you don't want like a sponsorship or anything? He's like, no, just here's $10,000. And he was like, I'd also like to like sit down together and work on a plan for how we're going to get you to a million dollars annual revenue. And and so that was like the kind of guy he was and the way he supported me in CMX, which was pretty incredible. So that's all to say, by the time we got to the point where um, we we got to know each other really well, and we were meeting for a long time. And there was a day where we met up, and he was just like, "Hey, like I have a proposal. What if we teamed up? We need to build a community uh, for Bevy of community professionals, and you've already built the best one in the world. You um, need, you know, more financial investment, and you have all these big visions that you want to be able to pursue, and we can fund those things. So, what if we essentially merged?" And, um, and Bevy would acquire CMX. And I was like, I didn't even consider that. Um, but that sounds interesting. And we, you know, just continued to talk about it. We vetted it. We played out every possible scenario of like, well, what happens if Bevy collapses? What happens if CMX collapses? What happens if Bevy gets acquired? Um, how, you know, how will the community feel about this? I spent a lot of time talking to community members and like, running it by them and like trying to understand what their concerns were and where the risks were. And ultimately like just checked all the boxes. It, it would allow us to do much bigger things. It would create more financial security. I was frankly like exhausted by that point. I was like managing people and debt and just like all the nuances and logistics of the business. And I was like, this sounds like what we should do. And so we, uh, we signed the deal and CMX became a part of Bevy. What year was that? That was 2019 or 2018. So you were probably like 31, 32 around the time? 2019. Yes. Yeah. 2019. Yeah. I would have been 33. That's amazing. So just to kind of, you know, round this all out, thinking about where things started and, you know, how you kind of turn, not, I don't want to say turn things around, but how you kind of built um out of a uh a situation um where you continued to refine continued to grow you dealt with uh adversity you handled um the firing and and i think part of that firing was the fact that you identified a lot of your success with what it was that you were chasing at that time um and turned it around into uh becoming just a titan of your own industry in the community space um, and I and I don't say that loosely. You 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 are a titan of the community space, and I'm sure you know that. But uh, to the listeners out there, um, you know, David Spinks is tied to community um, in the professional space, um, and he is um, an expert um, in the field. And uh, to go about that and and publish the business of belonging, and then have CMX uh, get acquired is is just so tremendous. And so. Um, you know, kudos to you for all that. As we kind of round things up, you know, is there any key lesson uh, that you'd like to pass along? Anything that was kind of uh, um, consistent in your journey in terms of uh, a thought process or a mindset that you could share with the listeners? Hmm. 
honestly, just I come back to this a lot, but it's just like all advice is bad advice. <laughs> you know, I could tell you what like a lesson is, but it's going to be biased and colored by my own experiences and privileges. So like, I think you use advice as ways of um, investigating your own decisions and your own opinions, you know, use advice as a, as a question that you ask yourself, but an advice is never truth. Uh, the truth is always going to be within you. Maybe the advice helps you find that truth. Um, I think that that that's something I learned the hard way over many years. Like I would kind of catch myself looking for the mentor that would just tell me what to do. And that mentor is never coming. They are never, ever coming. Um, you just got to do. You just got to do, fuck up, make mistakes. Just put one foot in front of the other and just keep moving. Um, I will share one piece of advice that was given to me that um, did end up connecting with me and helped me a lot in that moment. And it was when we were working on Feast and we were like really struggling. Like we couldn't find product market fit. We had tried all these different things. We were going through the accelerator and our demo day was coming up. And we just like all the a bunch of the other companies were like raising all this money. And like we kept hearing no from every investor. And we were just like thinking about giving up. And we met up with this uh, mentor that we had from, through the accelerator named Aki Sano. He invited us to his like ranch in SoCal, this beautiful ranch. And we we're like walking around the farm. And, and then he like sits us down in this field and we're like talking. It was like this very like wise Zen moments. And he was just like, um, what is your best worst case scenario? And what that means is when we think about taking a risk, when we think about building something, writing a book, starting a company, changing careers, we tend to default to the worst case scenario in our heads. Yeah. We're going to fail. We're going to lose all of our money and go completely broke and lose our house or lose our home. We're going to be embarrassed. Our friends are going to be ashamed of us. Our family is going to be ashamed of us. Uh, we're never going to be able to work again. Right? These, these like catastrophic ideas infiltrate our minds and the reality is you're you are truly painting the worst case scenario but there is going to be a best worst case scenario <laughs> and he was like so what would you do he actually had us be very specific if we go for it and try this new thing with feast that we wanted to do and it failed he's like what will you do what what are your options and we're like well um I could move back in with my parents. Like they'll happily have me. Um, uh, and he was like, you could come work here on the ranch. I was like, actually, that sounds delightful. Like, I think I might want to actually do that more than I want to build this company. This sounds great. Just like hang out and work on the ranch. And, and I was like, and like, I could probably get some consulting jobs pretty quickly and I could probably get hired for a job if I really need to. I can always like move back to New York. Like you just start realize you get very specific and you realize that if you were to fail, what would you actually do? It's not that bad. In my case, I was like, wow, actually, if I fail, it might actually be better than this in some ways. And it just really relieves a lot of the pressure. Because you no longer feel like, oh my God, if I mess this up, it's the end of the world. It's the end of my life. You you realize that you'll be fine. You'll be okay. You have things that you can fall back on. Dave, what a beautiful way to, to end this and to kind of uh, bring it home. I mean, um, you're absolutely right. And I, I think sometimes we need to reframe our perception of, of what failure means um, and realize that um, you know, the end of one road is, is potentially the beginning of a newer, brighter road that perhaps that we haven't even kind of, um, envisioned. And, uh, it's tough to do, but it's certainly something that if we can exercise, um, will definitely help us as we move forward. And I just want to say, thanks, man. Really appreciate you coming on board. Um, like I said, throughout this episode, your journey has been tremendous to watch. And, um, I'm, I'm really honored that you came onto mile 40 to walk us through, um, the bits and pieces of, of how you got here today. Uh, but to also kind of inspire through the lessons and, um, you know, I, I don't want to hone in on the word loneliness, but because you use it throughout the episode, 
Um, I'm sure there are lots of people out there who could relate um, in in different ways uh, around feeling uh, isolated, left out, um, wanting to be part of a group or a community and not understanding why it's not necessarily working uh, the way that they envisioned. Um, And I have no doubt, you know, this episode uh, will shed some perspective and some light with regards to um, how, how that situation could evolve into something grand. And so thank you so much for coming on board today. Thanks, Ben. This was a pleasure. It's really cool again to see how things kind of loop back around and to see our journey starting back in Geneseo and all the great things that you're doing now as well and your book and following everything that you've been putting out online. And it's uh, it's been an inspiration to watch as well. And it's cool to see other uh, entrepreneurial types coming out of Geneseo. There aren't many of us, but uh, it's always awesome to see. You didn't think you were going to find us 14 years ago, but here we are. Here we are. Yep. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mile 40 podcast, go ahead, subscribe, leave a review, and share the word. Thank you for being a part of the Mile 40 family. And let's unite in showing the world that comebacks are always greater than setbacks.